0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: This is the WA Country Hour with Belinda Varischetti on ABC Radio WA.
2: Good afternoon. How are you? How's the weather at your place this afternoon? There is some rain about, possible damaging winds over a large part of the South West Land Division this afternoon and into the evening. So what is happening at your place? Is it tools down, you've paused harvest, farm work, you're getting some other jobs done. Maybe headed into town, get some supplies, get a haircut. What is happening at your place? Be part of the conversation this afternoon on text zero double four eight nine double two six zero four to shoot through a text. A little later this hour, after half past 12 today, a bit of excitement about this afternoon, ahead of tomorrow's announcement of the Rural Woman of the Year Award and then just before the news at one, off to Musheye for the results of the sheep market. First, though, Western Australian Senator Dean Smith is calling for Rio Tinto to face a judicial inquiry over the destruction of the Jukun Gorge rock shelters. In May 2020, the mining giant blasted two 46,000-year-old rock shelters in WA's Pilbara region, despite traditional owners' warning of the site's cultural significance. A parliamentary inquiry into the blast has just concluded, saying Rio's actions were inexcusable and an affront not only to the PKKP but to all Australians and recommends new laws to protect thousands of sacred sites across Australia. Dean Smith was part of that parliamentary inquiry but says the incident warrants the scrutiny of a judicial inquiry.
3: What we've seen as a result of the tremendous work of the parliamentary inquiry into the Jorgen Gorge destruction is a couple of things. First, we've seen a very, very significant increase in the level of awareness around Indigenous cultural issues across the country uh, and uh, a significant investigation into what actually happened in regards to Jorgen Gorge. Secondly, and unsurprisingly, the report has some different ways in which to better manage uh, cultural heritage issues across the country. Uh, But importantly, I'm someone who believes uh, that there are still some questions that Rio has not answered properly A judicial inquiry can take many forms, but Rio plays such a significant and important role in the prosperity of our state, uh, employs many thousands of West Australians, and I think we've got a right to expect better leadership from Rio's executive leadership team. Um, To be fair to Rio, they did at the beginning of the Jorgen Gorge matter instigate their own internal review process. Uh, I'm hoping that Rio might agree to the judicial inquiry or uh, say sanction a genuinely independent inquiry into some of those issues around why the Jorgen Gorge disaster was allowed to happen.
4: What are the questions you want answered and are you suggesting some criminality here potentially?
3: Well, not for me to suggest that. That's why I think an independent judicial inquiry is important. But it was interesting in the parliamentary contributions in the Senate yesterday. Even Labor contributions uh, recognised that, you know, Rio had used excessive power over the PKKP, which for your listeners is the traditional owner group, that internal processes at Rio had been found to be wanting and uh, lacking. And indeed, the corporate structure reforms that were put into place at Rio in 2016... Um, had, you know, removed skills staff from that sort of on-the-ground level um, managing sort of mine operations elevated many of these sort of decisions to a higher level in the organisation, which didn't end up having that sort of cultural appreciation that we would expect from such a significant minor like Rio. To be fair, Rio did participate in the inquiry, but I'm someone supported by other colleagues that believes that additional inquiry uh, would go some way further to responding to that sort of community concern and hesitation that still remains around why this level of destruction could happen on such an important uh, cultural heritage site
4: and senator in the comments that you make which are attached to this parliamentary report that you were obviously a part of um, you make the point how rio was able to move on and, and its senior executives including the global ceo walked away yes they were effectively sacked over this but did walk away with multi-million dollar payouts and and it now seems to be business as usual does it, does this anger you do you feel uncomfortable about this
3: I think many people will be very surprised and be searching for a more thorough explanation about why it was that members of the Rio executive leadership team could leave with tremendously large sums of money when they exited the organisation after the Jordan Gorge experience. And in the report I do document um, some of the uh, revelations from Rio's most recent annual general meeting uh, and make the case that um, some executives left with considerably large sums of money um, and in, in effect Suffering no financial penalty in my mind uh, and in the mind of uh, many other people. So, these are issues that I think deserve to be answered by Rio's executive leadership team. Rio makes such an important contribution to the wealth and prosperity of our state, but I think as West Australians particularly, we've got a right to expect Rio to provide a more thorough and comprehensive uh, explanation. Rio Tinto's failures shouldn't reflect upon the entire resources sector in Western Australia or indeed across our country.
4: This committee thinks traditional owners should have the right to deny consent. Do you agree with that?
3: No, I think um, what we want to get to always is a negotiated outcome. We always want to get to a negotiated outcome and I would say to Indigenous groups and traditional owner groups that their future prosperity, their success is linked to resource development. Uh, it's, not a, it's not linked to prohibiting resource development. And I've been onto the sites, I've been onto BHP and uh, Rio and FMG sites, and I have seen where cultural heritage can sit very, very neatly next to resource development. What we want to make sure is that the resource Operators, mining companies are engaging in good faith with traditional owner groups and getting an outcome that is good for the state, good for traditional owners and good for non-Indigenous West Australians as well.
4: Okay, well on that point your committee recommends uh, the federal government take over control of cultural heritage through new federal legislation um, and makes the point that the state had failed in its handling of this issue and important sites. You don't agree with that, why not?
3: No, I don't agree with that. I believe very, very strongly that uh, resource development uh, has happened largely in a very, very effective way across our country because state and territory governments hold a lot of the influence and the decision-making and the regulatory powers over resource development and cultural heritage. In the report, I make the point that I do think existing Uh, regulatory arrangements at the Commonwealth level can be streamlined, but I would not like to see a a greater level of federal involvement. I think that will unnecessarily delay the approval of uh, mining operations across our country. I think it will actually take traditional voices further away from issues, not closer. Uh, And I think that there is opportunity to streamline existing Commonwealth laws uh, rather than enhance or expand Commonwealth authority in this particular area. The Chamber of Minerals and Energy agrees with me um, and I would be very interested to hear what West Australian-based traditional owners would be thinking about those sorts of reforms.
4: In your comments attached to this report, you say there's a great danger that these proposed laws and regulations will be used as deliberate weapons against the resource sector. By who and how?
3: Well, I think we need to recognise that while in Western Australia, the great majority of West Australians recognise and fully appreciate and support uh, the importance that resource development and extraction has on the prosperity of our state, uh, that's not a a view shared by every West Australian, and it's certainly not a view that is shared by every Australian. So I think what we don't want to be doing is setting up opportunities for people to consciously undermine resource development, uh, because they might have a philosophical political view uh, that resource development is not good. I'm someone who says that resource development has been a cornerstone of our success in Western Australia and the prosperity that many of us, many of us now enjoy. So I would hate to see a good intention inadvertently or consciously even used to undermine resource development. Because as I said previously, resource development has been proven to support the prosperity of Indigenous West Australians, but also non-Indigenous West Australians.
2: WA Senator Dean Smith with Nadia Mitsopoulos. Fourteen past twelve here on the Country Hour on the ABC, right across Western Australia. Over to Queensland now, where the Cairns District Court has cleared pastoralist Scott Harris of breaching cultural heritage protection laws on his property in the Cape York Peninsula. He had a state permit to clear 500 hectares on Kingvale Station, but was accused by the Queensland Government of failing to take all reasonable and practicable steps to protect Aboriginal cultural heritage on the site. Now, it's not the first time he's been in the spotlight for this sort of thing. Two years ago, Scott Harris and his company were fined $450,000 in the Cairns Magistrates Court for illegally clearing almost 3,000 hectares of native vegetation at Strathmore Station in the state's Gulf country. Today, he's very happy the court dismissed the latest criminal charges against him in what he calls a landmark case.
5: It was significant. I don't don't know how far it would have went. It was a sort of a two-edged sword. It was brought about not by the Aboriginals. It was brought about by the state government to stop Kingvale originally. But then it also had another thing because then it was, if they got a win on it, well, it was great for cultural heritage. So it was, a, it was a two-edged sword. If we had lost it, it would have went on to affect not just agriculture, it would affect anyone who owns a land in Queensland, right down to your house block. This is not about tree clearing. This is about your backyard in town with a native tree in it. This affected every Queenslander because if you touched anything native without a cultural heritage clearance, if I had lost this case, you were then liable and they had a precedent set to prosecute anyone on it. So they could have just gone through and then picked people off one by one as they wanted to. She was a very, very talented judge in the respect. She, she had enough intellect to, she realised that it was a, a very, very technical case and she realised the ramifications of it if it went right the way through and I found guilty of it.
6: What steps did you go to, to to try and ensure that you weren't harming Aboriginal cultural heritage on your property?
5: You've got to understand, like, the property of King vale, it was run by my father-in-law, who's been there for nearly 50 years. I left that up to him and he's, he had a very close relationship with Aboriginals in Laura. He's had them work for him for over 50 years, so he went through all that and sorted all that out. He had a very, very good understanding of it himself, probably a greater understanding than most of the modern-day Aboriginal people.
6: You have been held up as an environmental vandal. You mentioned this in your own statement. Do you accept that this ruling won't change that perception or erase the fact that you have been prosecuted for illegal clearing, albeit not on this property, King Vale?
5: Yeah, it doesn't matter. Doesn't that, that, that's Hey, I always say, I'm Scott Harris. I live in the state of Queensland. I breathe in and out. Therefore, I'm an environmental vandal, because I grow food. And basically, every agricultural food producer in Queensland has got to understand, he is a criminal. That's how it is.
6: But many of your critics, fundamentally, they don't believe that King vale in Cape York Peninsula is appropriate country for growing cotton or sorghum or any broadacre crop for that matter. Why are you so confident that it is? Well...
5: Go and have have a look on the map. See where it is in relation to Lakeland. Lakeland's got a long history of some, like it's big in horticulture now. You wouldn't want to go over there and try and stop them from growing horticulture that goes straight to you know Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane. Don't tell me that it won't um, won't grow food. It's right there.
6: And what has your experience with these crops been like on Strathmore Station?
5: We're well, not stopping, let's put it that way. If it, if it wasn't working for us, we wouldn't, we wouldn't continue. And it's only getting bigger, so it's obviously working for us.
6: So this season you were able to get a, a viable crop off?
5: It was a pretty tough season. The earlier stuff struggled because we had an extended dry period in the middle of the wet season, was a bit bit harsh, but the later stuff was unbelievable. We had sorghum, sorghum doing six tonnes a day. We had mung beans doing two and a half, nearly three tonnes hectare. day. Very, very viable.
6: Scott Harris, when you look back over the past decade, how do you believe that history will judge you as as a farmer, given that the court has shown in the past that you've overstepped the mark with tree clearing?
5: Oh, well, I haven't really worried about that too much. I just I just want to live my life, do my thing. This is what I was. I grew up with this as a small kid, you know, clearing trees, making country more productive. That's just what we did from little kids. Like, I was picking up sticks for my father when I was a little kid, and that's just a way of life. So how people judge me about it, I don't really care at the end of the day. Like, they'll judge me how they judge me. Who cares? As long as I, I can look back and say, well, I've left something better for, you know, for my family, my community, for the region out here. If I've left that better for them, that's enough for me. I don't care.
6: You've won the battle in the Cairns District Court, but not the war, by the sounds of it, if that's what you would call it. What are your hopes from this day forward?
5: Yeah, the, the, war, the war's, the war's um, definitely far from over, and it doesn't... I don't know. It, it, this is, this is going to go on. I don't think I'll see the end of it in my generation. Like, it'll be my kids that'll see the end of this. Because it's not a matter of whether it's a Labor government or a Liberal government. It's about perception. And I think we're a little... We're, it's changing slowly, but I just don't think I'm going to live enough long enough to see, see it change. But it will change.
6: Is that a legacy that you would want to leave for your kids, to be in this adversarial dogfight, I suppose, every time you want to move on your property?
5: Well, it's genetically bred into them, so they're... And I think it'll be good for them. Like, it'll, it'll be tough for a while, but at the end of the day... As my father always said to me, God rest his soul, history repeats, history repeats. And once upon a time, they knighted people, gave them title for improving agriculture and progressing agriculture it, We're at a point in history, no, we're the villains. Now, if I die the villain, that's fine. Maybe my kids come along. History will come around and they'll say, thank Christ they're there and I'm hoping they'll be there, and they, they'll get recognised in some way, shape or form. They want to go into Gotcha.
2: Scott Harris, he's from Kingvale Station in Cape York Peninsula, talking to Charlie McKillop after being cleared in the Cairns District Court of breaching the Aboriginal Cultural Heritage Act, and a response has been requested from the Queensland Attorney-General and the Minister for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Partnerships. 21 past 12. Hi, my name's Lynn. I've found Arthur River and I've been there for quite a while and I love listening to the country out. ABC Radio WA. So good to have you along this afternoon, 22 past 12. An update from the newsroom, not too far away at half past 12. First, though, an Indigenous organisation in the West Kimberley says it's hoping to start construction on a commercial freshwater prawn project by mid-next year. Two years ago, Imam Noona. Aboriginal Corporation secured land and funding from the Indigenous Land and Sea Corporation to build an aquaculture facility near Derby. Since then, the project has faced a couple of delays, but it's now back on track to become the first to commercialise the breeding of what is known locally as cherubin. Operations manager Ben Burton says the foodies can't get enough of it.
7: This seafood delicacy is probably the one of the highest demand sort of local you know, f- uh, fish or prawn species in, in this area. We've got a lot of people coming to the region chasing cherubin or have heard about cherubin. It is a much sweeter, firmer flesh than a saltwater prawn. They grow up to you know, 340, 360 grams, so it's, it's, it's really encroaching sort of towards the same size as a, a, a mature adult marin mm-hmm. or bigger. It is the primo... Australian protein species about to hit the market.
2: So people might recall some discussion about a cherubin or freshwater prawn project in the Derby area. What's the latest on that?
7: The latest is we have uh, finalised our hatchery trials at our Roger Street property. We are working with some uh, international contractors to uh, finalise our design with our hatchery and our civil construction and then we'll take that to market, get it costed and then start construction. Uh, Really we're trying to create jobs. So we are utilising our aquaculture activities to convert um, into a mainstream business that creates jobs. So not only for our members, but also for in that land management area, so looking at restocking potentially the Fitzroy River or or man-made waterways.
2: What is the market? Where would they end up, do you think?
7: Uh, for us, we're exploring a couple of markets. Firstly, the domestic market. Um, around, uh, we've got a couple of seafood wholesalers that are chafing at the bit to take everything we can grow. Um, we're also looking, obviously, about um, live supply or restocking work, so putting you know um, post larvae into the river systems. But the really exciting sort of market that we're exploring is our own restaurant. So having a restaurant where you can, you know, you might sell some prawns at a comparative price with king prawns at $30, $40 a kilo Mm -hmm. um, or being able to sell prawns at, you know, uh, maybe $120 a kilo, because you could probably make three or four meals out of a kilo worth of prawns, is a lot better market for us to explore. There's, there's a couple of reasons we're looking at the restaurant. It's not only around our cherub and stuff, but it's also around our mud crabs. So we still maintain our mud crab licences, and mud crabs are exactly the same. You can get mud crabs in Broome for $29 a kilo landed from Darwin, but when you go to a top-end restaurant and you order a nice chilli mud crab, it's at market price, which is usually about 80 to $120 mm-hmm. per prawn. So... If we can access those sorts of prices, it provides a lot better um, supply right into the supply chain for us, the price Mm -hmm. modelling.
2: And are you using those mud crab licences at the moment?
7: No, no, we're not. We have uh, been waiting for DPIRD to reissue our exemption licences. Mm -hmm. Um, Before COVID came, they sort of put them on hold and there was going to be a whole development piece to develop the brown mud crab um, market in Perth and all that sort of stuff, and then COVID struck, and all those staff working on the project were taken in different directions. So, we, our boat and our nets are sitting in dry docks at the moment, much to our disgust. Yeah. But when they are reissued, we will be full steam ahead.
2: Ben Burton, he is the Operations Services Manager at Imama Nuda Aboriginal Corporation and he was speaking to the ABC's Erin Park. 26 past 12 here on the Country Hour. Just earlier you heard from WA Senator Dean Smith. He is calling for Rio Tinto to face a judicial inquiry over the destruction of the Jukun Gorge rock shelters. A parliamentary inquiry has just wrapped up. He was part of that inquiry too, but he says there's still a lot of unanswered questions that he would like to get to the bottom of and a judicial inquiry he believes is the way to do that. This from Bernie House, a very sensible Senator Dean Smith, keep the Greens and many within the ABC from influencing decisions on mining says Bernie. 0448 922 604 is the text to have your say this afternoon. Not far away from an update from the newsroom and then off to the Bureau of Meteorology. Um, A lot of wind, destructive wind in some places too, possible this afternoon and into the evening and also some rain about. All the details. Uh, when that cross to the Bureau of Meteorology happens just after half past 12 today. Just before that, though, WA's dwindling sheep flock and good seasonal conditions has the state's biggest producer of animal feed, diverting product to other markets like the pet and horse markets, for example. Graham Late is the owner and manager of Milne Feeds. He says the current situation is just part of the cyclical nature of the business.
8: The issue that the feed industry at least faces is that uh, demand has slumped uh, because of seasonal conditions here, but uh, in particular the uh, conditions in the east. The the end of the drought in the east has resulted in uh, a need for farmers over there to restock. And um, one of the few places that they can restock from is Western Australia. So uh, I think in one report I saw it described as frantic buying by uh, East Coast uh, farmers or processors looking for stock in Western Australia.
0: That depression of the stock levels here, how significant is it for your bottom line?
8: It depends on the extent to which um, growers um, are able to you know, re-establish their breeding herds here. But they're going to uh, be selling at quite a f- fast rate given the sorts of pricing into the east and uh, that's going to create a big hole in our, uh, our flock or cattle herd here.
0: So what strategies have you used to mitigate that?
8: Well, we've got um, other business that we supply, so we're not just entirely dependent on sheep and cattle feed. We supply the horse market, export markets and things of this nature. So you just divert more sales into those areas when this sort of thing occurs. Uh, I mean, we already get other people to produce our chicken and pig feed, which is in the order of forty or 50,000 tonnes a year. So it's just uh, something we understand quite well because uh, we've been producing animal feed for many years. We know that these things happen. This has happened before. Um, it happened uh, some years back when there was a, a drought in the east, not on the proportions that we saw uh, recently, but the growers in the east will always come to WA to buy stock when, uh, following the drought.
0: What prompted that decision to not produce your own chicken and pig feed despite being you know, the state's largest feed producer?
8: We find that our demand for our ruminant feeds for sheep and cattle is such that uh, it's better for us to make sure that we're able to supply growers with beef and sheep feed. So we give that priority. (laughs) How recently was that decision made? Oh, we've been doing it for the last three or four years. No longer than that, actually, probably five, seven years, something like that.
0: Do new trends in agriculture make a significant difference? When we talk about things like, for example, the increased interest in nutrition, does that make a difference in how farmers go about seeking out feeds?
8: Yeah, I think what we see is that all farmers are having to become more and more professional each year as they go forward, and uh, that's where we try to play a role. We have... uh, laboratories, nutritional expertise and things of that nature at a a fairly advanced level and as a result we're able to support farmers ambitions and uh, strategies in these areas.
0: Have you developed programs that might be able to influence how feed gets borne out in the ultimate products that consumers are eating?
8: yes in the sense that uh, we focus on wholesome natural uh, natural products but closing the loop if you like on the marketing in terms of feed to the ultimate consumer there's limited uh, uh, opportunities for that in the market at the moment it may develop certainly uh, consumers uh, are becoming more um, concerned and more um, focused on their food and uh, what goes into it
0: when we speak about sheep there's been a lot of attention drawn to confinement feeding in the past couple Mm -hmm. of in the past few years and particularly the last couple of months do those systems present an opportunity for
8: your business I was doing confinement feeding 15, 20 years ago. It's not something that's new. It's inevitable when we're looking to restock uh, that people will look to will turn to intensify their production models and try and uh, um, get well. What we were aiming for, and uh, uh, when we were doing it as farmers rather than as feed millers, we were looking to try and get three lambs in two years, uh, and that's been a sort of a holy grail. And there are some growers who are able to to achieve that now, but. The dilemma with it is just that it does require a lot of extra uh, management effort uh, and time, and it's not always been worthwhile doing
2: that. Milne Feeds Managing Director Graham Malate speaking to Angus McIntosh. And it takes the time to 29 to 1 here on the
9: Country Hour. Ali Colvin is here. What's happening in the news headlines, Ali? Thanks, Belinda. A police officer on trial for murder has told the WA Supreme Court he fired his gun at a woman in Geraldton because he believed he and a colleague were going to be stabbed. The 31-year-old constable is alleged to have unlawfully shot 29-year-old JC in 2019. He broke down today as he said he had not intended to kill or harm her and was in disbelief when he was told a couple of hours later that she'd died. Mal- Mounted police are set to join the search for missing four-year-old girl Cleo Smith who disappeared in the state's northwest on Saturday. The girl was last seen in her parents' tent at the remote Blowholes campsite. The search was suspended earlier today due to bad weather but police say the land operation is back in full swing. Arrivals into WA from Queensland will no longer have to quarantine on entry into the state. From one minute past midnight on Friday morning, Queensland will be moved to a very low risk status. The change means travellers from Tasmania, the Northern Territory, South Australia and Queensland can all enter WA without having to quarantine. Thanks, Belinda. There'll be more news at one.
2: Ali, thank you so much for that update. 28 to one. This is The Country Hour with Belinda Varaschetti
10: on ABC Local Radio WA.
2: Great to have you along. This text just through from Pedro and he says, I didn't have a chance to respond yesterday. This is regarding the story you heard yesterday. We had uh, Fisheries Minister Don Punch on the show and uh, Pedro says his enthusiasm regarding all these marine stewardship qualifications And Pedro says, our sustainable forest industry went through this process for years, finally being rewarded with an international recognition for our management practices from the Forestry Stewardship Council. It all means zero when rogue politicians like Mr Kelly, Mark McGowan and Miss Sanderson discount all of this along with 100 years of local forestry research and science. You'll be next, fishing industry, and then grain growers as they try and prove their sustainability. Even our votes won't count soon as consecutive state Labor governments have attacked our electoral system in both houses of Parliament for increased metropolitan popularity. Thank you for that, Pedro. The text, if you'd like to respond... To Pedro, 0448 922604 to have your say. 26 to 1, just before the news at 1, off to Mouche for the results of the sheep market. And get excited because, well, after a lot of delays with all the COVID delays, obviously the, the um, Royal Woman of the Year wasn't able to be announced last year. So that's all been brought forward and the official announcement it's going to be made tomorrow by the Federal Agriculture Minister, David Littleproud. So a little sneak peek of that uh, announcement tomorrow, shortly. First, it is off to the Bureau of Meteorology and Bob Tarr is with you this afternoon. Bob, there's a little bit of action around the state today. There's some rain, there's some winds and destructive winds, uh, perhaps for some places this afternoon or into the evening. So any information you've got for us for the Southwest Land Division, take it away.
11: Yeah, sure. So we um, yeah, have plenty of activity across the region. Uh, across the Southwest Land Division, we have a pretty strong cold front moving through eastern parts of the Southwest Land Division. Right now it's bringing uh, some rain right through the ag areas in the inland parts. Uh, rainfalls are dropping off as you go further inland, but uh, still a lot of areas through the western part of the Wheat belt have had uh, about 10 mils of rainfall uh, so far, and there's uh, more to come as it is becoming quite showery through that region in behind the cold front. Uh, Behind the front, there is a deep low pressure system that is going to move close to the southwest capes, and that's the main risk of severe weather with this system. There is uh, a less... Sorry, slighter risk of uh, severe weather out ahead of it uh, through the gold fields and the southeast coastal district uh, in the far eastern part of the southwest land division. But uh, that will be clearing during this evening. Uh, and then the main risk for severe weather across uh, from the Midwest down through the great southern and the southwest would be uh, during tonight as it low passes by the southwest corner. So. There is a risk of destructive winds of up to 125 kilometres an hour. That's mainly uh, from the area south of Perth down through the southwest corner, Uh, a little bit less likely as you go through the Great Southern. But there is a potential for damaging winds through that region and um, then potentially going further east through the Esperance Coast later on tonight.
2: So then moving on to uh, the rest of the week then, how is it going to pan out?
11: Yeah, sure. So once that uh, system moves inland, it uh, should weaken, uh, and then we will see the severe weather threat likely to be gone by about sunrise tomorrow, still remaining fairly showery across the southwest corner of the state and up into southern parts of the Midwest, but uh, shouldn't be too bad a day. We'll be feeling fairly cool, though. Uh, Across the northwest of the state, uh, we'll see reasonably cool conditions tomorrow, certainly cooler than normal. Uh, We saw some uh unseasonable rainfall up through there, about 10 mils in Carnarvon, and uh, rainfall as far east as Onslow, which is pretty unusual for this time of year. It's normally about the driest time of year uh, up in the western part of the Pilbara. Um, across the remainder of the uh, southern areas, we'll see a uh, chance of showers and storms mainly clearing from the Eucla during Tomorrow and then uh, drier weather setting in through there and also through the gold fields as well. Certainly feeling much cooler across the gold fields, fairly warm through there today with uh, possible blowing dust out ahead of that trough. And then uh, up through the Pilbara, we'll see uh, winds tending more southeasterly as as we go into the later part of the week, Uh, potential uh, fire weather warnings through there later in the week. And up in the Kimberley, we have uh, isolated showers and thunderstorms, mainly over the far northern and northeastern parts of the region over the next few days. But probably the main story in the Kimberley is the heat wave. So there are heat wave conditions with temperatures reaching into the low 40s out towards uh, Kananara and Wyndham. And then that will be expanding as we go later In the week, so as those winds tend more southeasterly, it will push that heat up into areas like Broome and Derby and Fitzroy Crossing. So by the time we get out to Friday, Saturday, it might be above 40 even in uh, western parts of the region around Broome.
2: And Bob, just back to this afternoon, and with the the rain and the winds about, can you run through the warnings this afternoon? Mm -hmm.
11: Yep, sure. So we currently have a severe weather warning for uh, damaging winds and that extends along the west coast and through the Great Southern and then also through uh, from the far southern Pilbara down through the uh, eastern Gascoigne, the Goldfields and the southeast coastal district and western part of the Eucla. Uh, and then, as I mentioned, the risk of destructive winds uh mainly to the south of Perth and across the southwest during this evening. Uh, We've also got gale warnings from the Gascoigne coast right around to uh, the Albany coast and then also a strong wind warning from, uh, well really from the western part of the Pilbara all the way down to the uh, Euclid coast. So quite broad area for those as well.
2: Bob, great job on your first time on the Country Hour. It's great to have you along. Have you been there for years or you've just joined?
11: Yeah, no, I've been with the Weather Bureau for probably over 10 years now, mostly uh, working on some other desks and uh, also embedded with um, DFES and then the energy and resources section. But, uh, yep, yeah, my first time uh, trying my hand at the Country Hour. So, yeah, ah, it's good to be along.
2: Great job. Thanks so much, Bob. Appreciate that. It is 20 to 1 here on the Country Hour, taking a look at the rainfall figures now with Richard Hudson.
1: Uh, Actually, we'll just start. Oh, sorry.
2: I I forgot the heads up. That's right. There's a fire
1: ban (laughs) being declared for today for the following shires, so for Laverdon, Menzies, Nanya Jericho and Willuna. So during a total fire ban, you can't light, maintain or use a fire in the open air or carry out any activity that could start a fire. So that includes a ban on all open fires for things like cooking, camping, hot work such as metalwork, grinding, welding, soldering, gas cutting, in a nutshell, you've got the day off. Uh, if you need more advice on total fire bands, just go to the DFS website. So just do a search for DFES and total fire bands, and you should find it. But, uh, yeah, the rainfall figures up until 9am today. I stress that because I'm sure some places have had a lot of rain since 9am. In the northern and eastern forecast districts, there's only rain recorded in the Gascoigne. Kerry Downs, 8. Carnarvon Airport, the same. Carnarvon itself, 10. Denham, 18. Durawarra, 5. Gascoigne Junction, 6 mils over four days. Murchison, 5. Shark Bay Airport, 9. Steep Point, 12. And Tamala 21. And then in the South West Land Division, in the Central West, Alanooga, 17, Arena, 20, Aradale, 13, Badgingarra 16, Barbadon 9 to 10. Bellandine 14, Berkshire Valley, 8, Bindi Bindi, 7, Binnu, 21, Balgada, Canna and Canterbury, all recorded 8, Karnamar, 14, Chapman Valley, 15, Coolangatta 11 to 12, Karoo, 10 to 12, Dandaragan West, 24, Doodawar, 13, Eneabon, 19, Ereju, 16, Aranji Springs, 17, Geraldton, Twenty to twenty-five, Guther West fifteen, Highfields twelve, Durian Bay nineteen to twenty-seven, Calbarry twenty-six, Lancelin Defence thirty-two, Latham eight, Mindala six, Mingenew twelve, Molesgar eighteen, Mora ten, Morawar nine to sixteen, Mullawar fourteen to sixteen, Nabawar eleven, New Norcia five to twelve, North Island on the Abrolas twenty-six. And some very strong winds overnight over here. In Northampton, 15. Perengiri, 7. Port Denison, 20. South Homewood, 15. Tabletop, 16. Tarden Hill, the same. Three Springs, 14 to 16. Braddon, 20. Wailabing, 10. Waradaji East, 23. Woolgoring, 8. Wundy 19. Yandanooka, 12. Uh, Una, 13 to 16. Then in the lower west, Ankitel 11, Bickley 14, Bindu 9, Bolgup bin 5, Bungandor 13, Chidlow 9, Dwelling up 18, Gijigan up 13, Jinjin West 9, Gleneagle 15, Huntley 13, Jandicot 12, Jarrodale 13 to 14. Jullamar Forest, 6, Carnet 14, Lake Chittering, 7, Lancelin East, 17, Mandurah, 12, Millendon, 8, Minston Park and Mulyabini, 10, Moondarbrook, 9, Mount Solus 12, Meusei, 11, Mundaring, the same, New Nile, 6, Pierce of the RAF Base, 12... Pinjarra thirteen to seventeen, Rollystone twelve, Serpentine six, Tamala Park eleven, Wanneroo ten to fifteen, Waroona, ten, Werribee, nine, Whitman Park eight. Then in the southwest Acton Park five, Aldervale eleven, Bailing up fifteen, Boyan Up North twenty, Bridgetown ten, Brunswick Junction twenty one to twenty four, Bunbury twenty five, Bustleton six, Cape Naturalist twenty-two, Capel nine to twelve, Chapman Hill Road 7, Collie 17, Darden up 19 to 28, up 15, Donnybrook 16 to 17, Doyle Road 6, Ferguson Valley 19 to 22, Happy Valley Alert Station 8, Harvey 23, Hentybrook 21, jarrowwood 8, Jindong 10, Loguebrook 23, Ludlow 8, Margaret River 8, Main up south 12, McElindon 17, Mount William and Mile up 23, Nanup, six. Newby 13. Newlands, 19. Payndale Alert Station and Perryvale Orchard, 10. Ravenscliff Alert Station, 10. Rosebrook, five. Thompsonbrook 14. Uh, Tonebridge and Vass, seven. Will Garrup, six. And Willie 20. Witchcliff, five. And Yungarill up, seven. And then in the southern coastal region, not as many to get through. Inglebourne, five. Many Peaks, six. Mount Barker. Ongarup, uh, no, I'm up north, only got one. Now, Barker, Stirling South, and Tamar all received five, and Stirling Six got six. In the central wheat belt, Bunteen West five, Franklin six, Katanning six to eight mils. Um, and in, at one of the other stations, they received 8 mils. Cojanolican Hills, 8, Cojan up, 10, Narragin, 5, Quail up and Riverdale, 11, Tamble up and Tunney, 8, Wagen, 6 to 7, Wilgarra, 8, and Williams received 10 mils. But um, just going back up more towards the northern part of the grain growing region in Western Australia, just above Geraldton, Josh Carson farms there, so he's East and west of Binu. So you're talking about 450 k's north of Perth. Josh, I gather you were harvesting last night. Just wondering if you can describe what the weather was actually like last night.
12: Uh, it was a bit strange, to tell you the truth. And the humidity was right down. Um, we had a northwesterly breeze. And um, yeah, we were able to harvest through till midnight until the, the wind really picked up. And I think it started raining about two in the morning, something like that.
1: And um, was it strong wind and strong rain?
12: Uh, yeah, it was pretty breezy there for a couple of hours. Um, luckily, it was only a couple. Um, and then the rain, you could really hear it on the roof um, early this morning. Um, so, yeah, lucky it was only for a couple of hours because it, it could have been significant damage to canola. But um, talking to neighbours n- nearby me, they've had a bit of a squeeze around this morning and, had, and the damage hasn't been too bad, so... Yeah.
1: I'm hearing the same thing from yeah, just north of you and uh, south and all around. People are saying the same thing. It must have been worrying, though, for a number of reasons. I mean, canola is pretty valuable. Any damage would have been uh, a bit of a nightmare at this stage.
12: Definitely, definitely. We, um, we had seen this coming a week out, so we've been going as many hours as we could in the last few days just trying to get it all off. We had about 80 hectares to go, so we nearly got there, yeah.
1: So you've nearly got it all in. That's that's very nice.
12: Yeah, we, had about, we got about 1,000 hectares of canola in this year, and uh, we've been going for about two weeks now. And, yeah, nearly got there, so, yep.
1: Is it looking okay, and is it going to need to be dried off a bit?
12: Uh, yeah, the canola is looking good. We um, probably get wax going about two to 300 kilos better than what we thought. Um, and there's a fair few people cranking up wheat around the place up our way as well, and from all reports, wheat's going pretty well up there as well. So,
1: But with this rain, roughly how much did you get in your in your gauge overall?
12: Uh, I think we had 20 mils, so I'd say probably by Friday, hopefully we might start again. Um, yeah, it just depends if we get it, yeah. Either either Friday or Saturday, I'd say we'll, we'll start up again, yeah.
1: It might be a nice little rest to have in the in the middle of your harvest.
12: Definitely, yeah, yep. No, we're having a couple of days off now, oh, have a bit of a break, and then refresh. So, yeah.
1: What was it like in the lead up to this little front? I know everyone sort of downplays fronts because they're normal and they come through each year, but when it comes after you've had something like Cyclone Sarojia go through, it it must do your head in.
12: Yeah, it's not ideal this time of year. Um with the crops looking so good. Um, yeah. It is what it is. Um we can only handle what we can. We yeah, just tried to get off as much as we could beforehand. Um it is a little bit strange this time of year to get a weather event like this, but um yeah.
1: Did you that's, have that's did you yeah. have much damage in Saroja, Josh?
12: Uh yeah, we had a little bit. We lost the machinery shed. Um and then it had um, some structural damage to a few older houses, and our uh, shearing shed got written off. And then just yeah, lots and lots of trees just falling down all over around the place. It was a pretty big effort to get seeding in this year. Yeah, it's
1: been a challenging year, hasn't it?
12: It has been very tra- uh, challenging. Um, we've been short-staffed, and yeah, it's um, I think it's turning out pretty well, but so can't complain. Yeah.
1: Well, hopefully if you've got your canola in and hopefully if your early reports are correct and you haven't had too much damage to the rest of your crops, you can get, have some uh, pretty good yields and get some profits there and, and start to be able to repair things, houses, sheds and uh, and pull the community back together again. Uh, best of luck and hopefully the rest of the season pans out okay for you, Josh.
12: No worries. Cool. Thanks, Richard.
1: It's interesting, yeah, most of the people I chatted to were in a similar boat. Um, They're madly trying to get everything off. They'll be out of action for a few days, but uh, lots of work to do still around those farms.
2: Yeah, look, thanks for that, Richard. 11 to 1 here on the Country Hour, and there was in the Esperance region some pretty wet and windy conditions just last week canola and barley crops were significantly damaged or even blown down neil wandel owns esperance quality grains he knows things are about to get very busy because farmers are going to want crops cleaned or dried
13: yeah we've got our first couple of loads this morning cleaning so uh, and the wind last week blew a lot of canola around and stuff and some people are picking it up with lifters and not always a few stones and stuff but uh, we expect to get really busy on the weekend you know at a thousand dollars a ton for canola everyone's prepared to take it off a bit wet and, and get it safely put away.
4: So it's it's worth it financially this year?
13: Oh yeah well I would think so. Everyone's short of cash. <laughs> they need to get some grain in the bank and keep their bank manager happy. So uh, we're hearing a lot of people still 12%, 13% on canola. But that's only one day. We sort of take it up to 11% and then we can dry it at that easy enough.
4: So is it purely for drying purposes or are people coming in because they're having to get down really low to the ground and they're picking up a bit of sand as well?
13: Oh, we expect to see a bit of both. You know, there's some big crops. Uh, I've seen crops canola that are gone over before there's some pretty heavy crops around and uh you know rye grass is sticking its head out the cereal crops along the coast so you know i think we could have a very especially if the erg it starts we'll have a big year
4: and you mentioned um looking at the crops around and certainly a lot of pictures on social media of canola that's gone over barley that's gone over it does seem like there'll be a few people getting the lifters under to uh to get harvested this year
13: yeah, yeah, and depends what happens in the next month. And we, Hopefully this week we don't get the storms aren't too bad, but, uh, you know, everyone's a bit nervous and a lot of people and the crops aren't quite right, but it, it looks good for the whole district so far.
4: In terms of yields or quality, what, what are you sort of hearing?
13: Uh, the quality we've seen so far on the canola is good. It's been such a cool finish. You know, I think uh, it's been so slow to go off. That I think it would be good, it would be interesting to see what the protein does on the wheat, but certainly, you know, hearing stories of blokes lost three or 400 kilos of canola already from the wind, but it's still going two and a half tonne, well, you know, you never know whether that's genuine or not, but he would have been happy with two and a half tonne at the start of the season.
2: Neil Wandel from Esperance Quality Grains, which cleans grain and also exports pulses from the state's south into countries like China. He was speaking to Tara Delangraft. 8 to 1, news at 1, just before the news, off to Mouche for a wrap of the sheep market. And on tomorrow's Country Hour, you're going to find out who is the National AgriFutures Rural Woman of the Year for last year. So for 2020, uh, due to COVID, there was no national award winner last year. Federal Agriculture Minister David Littleproud is going to make the announcement of the winner during a virtual event with about 600 delegates tuned in. A $15,000 bursary is going to be awarded to each state and territory winner. And that money helps support the winner's project, business or program that will hopefully benefit rural industries and their local communities. Broom-based lawyer and entrepreneur Kara Peak was announced as WA's 2020 Rural Woman of the Year, so she is in the running to win that national award. And you might remember Kara Peak is the founder of Saltwater Country, and in the last 12 months her academy's been busy offering training programs and bull riding clinics to at-risk indigenous young people right across the Kimberley.
14: Despite COVID, despite border closures, et cetera, we've been quite successful because we're grassroots-led. And then when things open up, no doubt it'll get bigger. We've been able to deliver clinics and workshops in remote communities like Warman and Frog Hollow and Fitzroy Crossing, as well as in Broome. And we've had meaningful engagement from our young people and from people of all ages, in fact. So great collaboration and great feedback. So hopefully it'll grow from there.
2: Yeah, so can you give me an example of a success story?
14: So this year we engaged Ezra McKenna, who is the only Indigenous published graphic novelist in the country who lives locally here in Broome. And we decided to take him out or send him out, rather, to a couple of remote community schools in Fitzroy, in Warman and in Frog Hollow. And the success story there is that He was able to offer teachings and experience and lived experience that those schools can't offer to the kids in the region, nor do those kids see on a daily basis. So he's a globally successful graphic novelist and artist in his own right. And we actually had kids turn up to school for the week that don't normally turn up to school. And for me, that is a major success. So if we can offer more things like that, then hopefully we'll have more kids showing up and getting the education that they deserve.
2: So last year you won the Rural Woman of the Year Award. How did that help you?
14: Uh, well, the AgriFutures Rural Women um, of the Year Award helped me in terms of networks and leveraging. It was really nice to be acknowledged uh, for the work to date. And of course, celebrating me means celebrating the other um, rural women and, in particular, Indigenous women that have contributed. And I was able to use that title as well as the networks to leverage further opportunities for Saltwater Academy and by extension Saltwater Country.
2: What other things are you working on now looking into the future?
14: Looking into the future, Saltwater Country has some pretty big aspirations. We want our own facility, our own training ground and also to increase our level of stock that we use in our events but also to support other Indigenous organisations and businesses to help us deliver these things. And in doing so, we want to roll out clinics and uh, workshops across the top end, and then hopefully across the nation after that. We also are aspiring to have a junior rodeo and a bespoke camp draft experience, fundraising initiatives, as well as, Free community activations, um, movie nights, and you know, free barbecues and things like that for people that need them, and also to have a exhibition later in the year for the Saltwater Stories program participants, which includes the artwork from the graphic novelists and artistic workshops, includes sculptures, photographs, and films. So we hope that the community will come along to see what our people can do.
2: Saltwater Country founder Kara Peak speaking to Georgia Hargreaves. She is WA's Rural Woman of the Year, which means she is in the running. Kara Peak in the running for the National Rural Woman of the Year, which will be announced tomorrow. So tune into the Country Hour tomorrow, and you will hear who the winner is. Three minutes to one to Mucay now, and about thirteen thousand sheep and lambs were penned for sale today. So numbers up. 2700 on last week. John Testro has been at the sale all morning. Can you run through the
10: prices, John? Good afternoon, Belinda. In the lamb section, very strong grozier demand continued on the lightweight New Seasons lambs. 16 kilos and under remained firm with the 17 to 18 kilos down by $3. 19 to 20 kilo range again firm. Prime trade and heavyweights eased 5 to $7. And that was quality-driven at uh, near 730 cents a kilo. Hoggetts eased $10, light medium weight bonus were firm, with trade and heavy weight used down $10 at near 500 to 540 cents. Run through some details just quickly. In the new seasons lambs, the light store lambs uh, sold to graziers, the 0 to 12 kilos from 58 to 109, the 13 to 16 kilo weight range from 100 to 141, both classes firm. With the 17 to 18 kilos at 124 to 148, down by $3 at near 790 cents a kilo on those. Trade weight lambs, um, 21 to 22 kilos, eased $5, and they sold from 149 to 172 at near 730 cents a kilo. Prime 23 kilos plus, eased $7, and sold from 171 to 183 at near 720 cents. First heavy hoggets today to the trade. They used ten dollars and sold from one forty-seven to one sixty-five, and uh, Grazi has pushed the store weathers uh, again on the uh, somewhat lighter types. The yarding of mutton uh, met solid competition on lighter types. Uh, medium weight boners, nineteen to twenty-four kilos at five eighty cents, were sales from one hundred to one forty-six, firm on last week's rates. Values at uh, five forty cents for the uh, twenty-five to thirty kilo range were down ten dollars. With sales from 135 to 168. Heavier weights uh, sold from 150 to 166, again down 10 dollars. And a small selection of uh, heavy weathers remained very firm and sold from 160 to today's top price of 190. That covers Muuche for today. I'm John Testro for MLA's National Livestock Reporting Service and the ABC.
2: Thank you so much, John. This text just in from Robert in Durian Bay. Congratulations to the Scallop guys on their sustainability accreditation. Unfortunately, this government isn't interested in supporting sustainable fisheries. It's only interested in bringing in more marine parks without any scientific basis and throwing money at tourism. The fisheries arm of Deep Herd that supports primary industry has been gutted by the Department of biodiversity, conservation and attractions that do nothing for the economy and are rolling in cash. Thank you for that, Robert. Time for the news. One o'clock.
12: You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and
0: exclusives on the ABC Listen app.